0: This episode was co-produced with Ruf Stiftung, which makes science effective by initiating impact-oriented innovation projects. This year, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary and are keen to highlight the impact their initial funding has had on Swiss entrepreneurs.
1: Luya is not a protein-heavy product, but it contains some protein and it contains what you need and it also contains a very full amino acid profile, so everything you need.
0: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Toby, a uh, very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's
1: a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Sylvan. It's an honor to be here, and uh, I'm quite
0: interested to see how this goes. We are very excited. You're the co founder at Luya, a food tech startup creating deliciously sustainable vegan alternatives to meat. Before we talk about your company, I actually want to start with your personal background. You finished your master's at ETH and then you became a research assistant at the Berner Fachhochschule BFH. What was and is your main area of research? So um, I exactly, as you said, I, I finished my
1: master's at ETH and then uh, looking for a job, I, I came across um, the team at the, the Berner Fachhochschule that I joined. And I really joined there to basically acquire a new research project and really initiate um, a lot of different new initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um I focused initially a lot on um, food 3D printing, which is um, it's an interesting concept. I think there are some cool applications and things that can be done with it. Commercial viability maybe is a different story. But actually, through um, actually also through food 3D printing, we really also started to look at the, a lot more materials that are available, and and through this kind of slipped into the the sidestream topic. So so all the industrial food products that have no use so mm-hmm. to say and then uh, quickly also came across the the fungal fermentation which is is what we at Luya do today so it's uh it's a traditional fermentation style that's uh, known possibly to some foodies for for tempeh production but other mm-hmm. than that it doesn't have a huge application in um, at least in Europe so we quickly became interested in uh, in that
0: and the combination of the two and that is then quite a shift, right? Because researching is significantly different from setting up and running your own company. When did you suddenly then feel the need for a change to slightly leave research and focus more on the business side?
1: Yeah, it's definitely uh, something uh, very, very different, and we we had to learn. So I think it happened in a way pretty early on. Um, so I, I initiated. Um, this research and then it was uh, handed over or we we launched a a project with uh, which uh, Mike who is one of my co-founders did in his master's thesis and and pretty early during his thesis we we were sitting there looking at products tasting products and we're like this is kind of cool and it's super interesting and and I think we then yeah it was the question you know how far can we push this and uh, yeah to. I guess there's, of course, the option to push it through a commercial partner that is existing and established. But I think the, the interesting thing or the big challenge was to to do it ourselves.
0: And th- that initial decision, you know, to go basically all in and say, hey, we do start our own company and want to make this not only good research, but actually also a commercially viable product. Was there anything that helped you to make that decision? You know, any? A uh, client interest, or purchase orders, or anything of that sort that helped you to push to go all in and really start the company.
1: Yeah, I think initially, you know, to push this from let's say basic research to more tailored research towards driving the company. I think there was the, there was the grant that we received right from Drift Stiftung, which really mm-hmm. was also aimed at you know developing a business case out of your research. Uh, so we started there and then, you know, the people that we gave it to tasting, everybody was quite um, quite happy and was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then in a, in a late stage, uh, we definitely also started doing um, trialing rounds. So really t- tasting the product, A, with consumers, but also with the uh, gastronomy, so chefs, and, and mm-hmm. really also improving the product, you know, what do you think, what could we do? And 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 the, essentially, yes, the, the, the necessity to found a company came from there. So as soon as somebody wants to place an order, yeah, selling food, you you need somehow to have a business that actually sells this food. So then we very quickly needed to to found a company to be able to sell something. Yeah.
0: I like that from positive feedback until the first order request, basically, that was the timeline to start your own company. Definitely.
1: Yeah, it was really it, it then started, you know, bouncing feedback back and forth until somebody said, Well, okay, now it's actually pretty good, you know, can mm-hmm. I buy it? And, and then there's like, actually, Oh, actually, <laughs> yes, it's a good idea. But uh, you know, we need quantity, we need the the setup to actually
0: do, do all of this. Right. And you founded Luya, the legal company in twenty twenty one. You have two co founders, Mike and Flavio. So how did you Three meet together.
1: Yeah, so exactly. I think the, the the first person I of course met was um, was Mike. So he's uh, you know he's he's our, our chef and 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 kind of culinary person. So he has a background as a as a chef originally. So he's from Scotland and then um, worked uh, many years in um, in kitchens and then um, switched and did a boss, bachelor's uh, in his in his late twenties and worked as a product developer in a large. Pro- um, Company producing retail food and when he moved to Switzerland initially he decided to to do a master's to 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 get his footing here and and we met at um at the Fachhochschule, so that was definitely his master's thesis were was where we started working together and mm-hmm. and this kind of then was a fruitful collaboration and then during the the grs or the, the giverif project um Actually, we met Flavio through a, yeah, I would say at the end of coincidence, so Flavio really came from a different background, right? His life is based in uh, consulting and banking, and and, uh, he decided to quit this, and um, he then started looking at, okay, what comes next? I guess uh, COVID didn't really help his exploring phase, Mm -hmm. but anyway, he... His passion for for food and fermentation and sustainability kind of uh, pushed him to explore this, which of course, as a as a with his background and and no lab infrastructure, is very difficult to do. So he contacted Swiss Foods Research, so uh, an organization in Switzerland that really is focused on pushing food research to to get some funding to to help, Swiss food research directed him to us um, because they kind of saw, okay, look, these guys are doing something similar. Maybe mm. they're lacking a bit of business expertise <laughs> in their in their foodie team and research team. And and Flavia, of course, is lacking a bit of a foodie <laughs> or at least food research um, capacity. So they, they 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 were the matchmakers. We met for a beer and then another, and then you know we we exchanged and, and somehow it it really yeah got this dynamic of starting to work together, you know, Mm -hmm. really fine-tuning the business plan and and starting to develop more the the business case surrounding what was really essentially a research project before. So I think that meeting really then also pushed the whole business development and pushed us
0: in the direction where we are today. Amazing. And despite having the complementary skill set that makes a strong team were you also, you know, eating plant-based food before? Is that also something that unites the three of you out of a personal uh take, basically? I think there's
1: there's uh within the founding team and all of Luya there's a lot of different uh, types of eating. I think we're definitely joined by a fascination for food, a fascination for plant-based product for new products for everything. I think there are some people that are are, are completely vegan. Then there's probably a very large fraction that is, you know, eighty percent vegan, but but occasionally eats uh, cheese, meat, whatever. Yeah. But uh, there's definitely this sustainability and kind of realization that our food system definitely has a lot of gaps that need filling. I think that's what really brought
0: the team together and 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 still does. Amazing! You're on a joint mission right there. Definitely a joint mission. One thing I'm also interested is the name of your company, Luya. Is you know, it's a very nice name. To people can remember it. It's it's very thoughtful. But there's a backstory to it. Can you quickly share where the name comes from? Yeah, there's definitely a backstory to it. I guess the the first backstory is you know it's.
1: Um you know in the research you give research project titles that are often not thought out to be nice names so at one point we were okay we need a company name we need a product name we need something that's appealing short exactly everything that you described and it it was a long mission a lot of brainstorming and um, so Luya actually at the end of the they what really brought us to this name, or what really resonates for us, is the, the fact Luya is a is a tributary river. So in in East Africa, in in um, Zimbabwe, there is um, the Sambesi River, and and Luya is one of its tributaries. And in English, may, maybe the word wordplay doesn't work as nicely, but the tributary rivers essentially what they are are side streams of the main river, mm-hmm. and and side streams right is is kind of where Luya is based. So really this processing of side streams from industrial food production. So side streams are all the streams that are not the main, right? So And and what Luya is based around is the side stream of the, the soy milk or tofu production. So when you produce soy milk or tofu, actually you have a side stream and you produce a lot of okara, which is our main ingredient. So that there's the side stream and also really anchoring this in the company name this Mm mission-driven purpose to know you. we want to make use of sidestream and make sidestreams the mainstream.
0: I love that story. I think that is so thoughtful and meaningful at the same time. So great job on that one.
1: Took us some time. (laughs) I can imagine. It looks easy from the outside.
0: (laughs) So, you know, when we look at the market, of course, it's, it's a very crowded market where you are playing in but the problem with current meat alternatives is often that they have a lot of harmful ingredients that you know you think oh i don't eat meat i eat something healthy but you're actually not there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be in there from a health perspective how do you solve that so yeah definitely i think
1: that the trend is definitely meat alternatives are 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 everywhere in today's if you look world if you look at the, the shelf grows exponentially at right. the moment right so there's i would classify you now. there's the traditional stuff the tofu mm-hmm. the tempeh in some cases and then there's really all the new stuff that is um yeah harmful i don't want to come off too strong but there's definitely a lot a very long ingredient list or there's a fairly heavy processing that goes into creating this so our model was really to follow a more natural biological route and and that's where the fermentation which is our Key process, so this fungal fermentation comes in and really does a lot of the work for us. And how does that exactly work? So, how does it work? At, at the end, I mean, fermentation is a very cloudy, hazy word for I, I guess most people. At the end of the day, we are consume a lot of fermented food, beer, bread, right? What makes it kick is, or what makes it really work, is the fermentation behind it. And the same goes for luya. So. We start off with a mass that's uh, a grainy particulate mass. So it's mm-hmm. it's really this this press cake that comes from the soy um, industry. So so the, the the pulp of the the soybean after pressing, as well as chickpeas to add some more protein and, and flavor compounds, mm-hmm. and then it goes into into a, a fermentation chamber. And that's where the, this mushroom does its magic. So it um, it grows over a period of of 24 hours, and it really completely transforms the mass. It transforms it on a on a texture basis. Okay. So you go from this kind of pasty, gritty mass to something that's that's elastic and has a, has a bite resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a juicy texture at the end. It transforms it on a on a taste basis. You can really feel a taste. It releases all those. Those notes that come from breaking down the whole material of the of of the soybean and the chickpea, mm-hmm. and it also transforms it in terms of bioavailability, right? It's yeah. it's a and that's what gives it also
0: a nutritional a nice profile. Please talk a bit more about that profile because that's super interesting from people who want to get into a bit more details. Yeah, I think
1: there is um, there's definitely the nutritional aspect that also was super interesting for us. Also mm-hmm. using these side streams such as okara, which at the end, is is really this press cake? So it contains everything that's not soluble. So that's a large f- fiber fraction. There's yeah. there's still some insoluble protein in there. There's a bit of leftover sugars, but sure. and a bit of fats, right? But the fiber is definitely one aspect that I find super interesting. Mm-hmm. It's something that you know it's it's a bit uh, under undervalued because I think everybody goes for protein, protein, protein. While yeah. if you look at our our. Eating habits, actually, fiber would be much more important to push. Um, on the protein side, right, It's, it's Luya is not a protein-heavy product, but it contains some protein and it contains what you need. And it also contains a very full amino acid profile, so everything you need. And then there is always this bioavailability topic that is from a researcher standpoint, super interesting, but very difficult to research. So mm-hmm. there is no, no proof, but right. The the general consensus in literature, of course, is that, you know, fermented foods uh, are are foods that have been pre digested in a way mm-hmm. and really increase bioavailability of all these compounds. So at the end it's uh it has a super low calorific content also, of course, due to the, to the, to the fibers and, um, you have still a satiating feeling of a food and, and it's very healthy at the end for,
0: for us to eat. That sounds almost too perfect to be true. It's like low calorie and high nutritional value. I mean, that's perfect.
1: Yeah, I think that's also part of what really pushed us to do this project. This mm-hmm. this is such a, a nice way to really round off the food, all the all the mismatches we have in our food system, right? So there are uh, there is really the land use that we have, there's the, the protein consumption, the, the healthy consumption, and and, and that was um, yeah that really rounds it off, and was what
0: pushed us to 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 go on this mission. Yeah. You also mentioned chickpeas and soybeans as part of your ingredients. Where do you actually grow them? Can you grow them here in Switzerland?
1: So um, the, let's start with the soybean, which is, is the main ingredient, right? So basically we're not using entire soybeans. We're just using this 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 pulp. So mm-hmm. that's actually what we, we collect this, right? We don't produce tofu or soy milk, so we can actually source this from tofu or soy milk manufacturers in Switzerland. Right. Um, most of them, in turn, source their soybeans either from Switzerland or the surrounding country, and most of this is northern Italy, which um, supplies the, the soybeans. Yeah. From the chickpea si- pea side, it's a, it's a similar situation. We source um, some chickpeas in uh, in Switzerland, or there are sources of, switch- of chickpea in Switzerland, but chickpea doesn't grow ideally in, in, in Switzerland, right? It mm-hmm. it's, has a low yield or much lower than other legumes that you can grow. And it um, definitely also is very sensitive.
0: So if we have a year like last year where it's super wet and cold, there is no chickpeas. You talked about the fermentation process, a really important part to make your product the way it is, obviously. This process that you created there is also patented. So I wonder how important is the patent for you, not only from a manufacturing, but also from a business aspect? So yeah, I think that's definitely...
1: An an interesting kind of point, I think, as researchers and as startuppers, you know, you develop a process to produce something and, and you're you're very worried, right? Like if okay, if this becomes a success, right? I mean, yeah. a big company can start doing the same and they can just steamroll us into because they can put a marketing budget that's that's horrendous behind it behind it. So you you think of who how do we protect a bit? I mean, it's it's one part is you also wanna wanna share it with the world, but you also don't wanna get get into this situation where somebody can just push you out of something you created mm-hmm. that's definitely one aspect to it and then the other aspect is definitely also that worry translates to investors that have the same worry it's like, well what makes you special and why can only you do this process so that's definitely one part where the where the patent helps but filing a patent filing it you know in all the major markets of of the world to for it really to be meaningful is definitely also a a double-edged sword, right? It's it's a lot of cost associated with the patent. It's a lot of effort that goes into it. It, it needs a lot of careful consideration. So mm-hmm. I think for us, you know, it was it was definitely a good thing to do this this patent, um, but it's it's definitely also a difficult task, and and it's yeah, it
0: uh, causes some sleepless nights to to do all of this, and and there is a good expense that comes with it. Absolutely, I can imagine. Looking back, would you do that again? Would you go for a patent again, or do you think well it was an interesting learning, but it's basically not worth the effort looking back
1: well, maybe if I could back with the knowledge I had now in <laughs>
0: what you need to consider
1: <laughs> writing a patent, I would maybe do it again yeah. I think uh, right at the end you file something and there is you don't have you can change something but you can't change everything so mm-hmm. um, it's definitely I think something that's worth doing if you have a process that you can patent and make sense to patent. If you have to build a patent that doesn't that's maybe not ideal and then you have to to fight a lot to actually get it through all the authorities and, and you don't end up with with a significant
0: gain out of that. It's definitely mm-hmm. a careful consideration that has to be made. Got it. Another thing I want to talk about is you've recently received the Bio Knospa label, which is an amazing achievement because it's not that easy to uh, to receive that. So BioSwiss awarded you with that for your sustainability efforts. And I wonder if you could walk us a bit more about the process on what you needed to do to get there and why it's so important to you to have that label. Yeah, I think
1: it was definitely one label that we fought or, or, or put a lot of effort into getting. I think um, Bio Swiss is definitely one of the tougher bio labels that you you can get, uh, or the standards are, of course, very, very rigorous. Um, it has, at the end of the day, it's a price point that's attached to it because the sourcing of raw materials, it's just your selection gets a bit smaller and, and there's a price to pay. So getting the bio label definitely... Um, Forced us to rethink our process, or we looked at our process in in, in careful consideration. You know, what do we really need in there? What mm-hmm. don't we need in there? The things that we really need, can we replace it with something that is really natural and organic? And and that's a that's a nice process to to do. And at the end of the day, it's definitely also something that gives us a certain USP. If you look at today's. Um, meat alternative markets as we said Mm -hmm. it's it's very big it's very it's very much growing and due to all the additives that are in a lot of these products or the complicated processes they do the bio label is unattainable Um, and that's of course then a usp that you can put on your packaging so that was definitely also why it's worth the effort for us there's also a big business value behind that there is a big business value. It's As I said, there is a significant markup. So it's a careful consideration whether people will actually pay for this markup or if it's worth it or not. Uh, in the retail
0: sector, I th- definitely think it's a, it's a nice thing to have. And talking about that, retailers and in general your customers, who actually are your customers? Because you seem to serve both, right? You seem to do uh, B2B sales, but you also, of course, in the end, have the end consumer using and consuming your product. Yeah, of course. So
1: talking about customers, we definitely have the, the retail side. So there the, the customer is a very clear end consumer who wants to cook a nice, delicious meal, you know. Who maybe wants to cook a nice, delicious meal and not have a bad conscience or feel bad, um, but also doesn't want complexity, doesn't want products that uh, he doesn't know how to use or complicated to use, have a have a weird taste or texture that he maybe that you maybe don't like. So at the end of the day, what do you want? You want to, you know, come home after a stressful day of work, be able to whip up a nice, delicious meal that feels and feel good. So that really is 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 who we're targeting here. Yeah. Um, on a, on a gastro side, it's a bit dissimilar situation there. You have a lot of chefs, you know, that they are starting to play with, with, you know, all these new ingredients that are coming out. It's, it's not always easy, but you want an ingredient that really gives you freedom. That is a bit of a blank canvas that you can play with. And that's where, where Luya has been able to convince a lot of chefs and that's that was definitely a nice feedback also for us you know it it works well with a uh, different cooking style it worked well with different marinades it sucks up the marinades it kind of carries flavors so that was definitely kind of the people we we are aiming at there the people that want to create some really new and cool concepts mm-hmm. not necessarily relaying on on really Replacing one-to-one meat in their dish, but maybe you know you need to fill that component that's missing, yeah. and um,
0: that's where where Luya offers an additional choice. Is that sometimes a difficult balance to to have? You know between the gastro market, the retailers, and also in the end the end consumer, because they sometimes have different needs or different feedbacks, and probably also need different approaches on how to win them as clients.
1: Yeah, it's definitely too too completely separated market at the end we, we have a base product that we produce mm-hmm. that's um that works that we like and then it's it's fine tuned for the specific needs of these two market whereas we sell marinated um now in this since last week in migros there's also a non marinated because it was also interesting to us and important to show you know our product we're not hiding anything with the marinate it's sure. just a convenience factor that most people like or that we know a lot of people like yeah. in the gastro sector it's it's definitely different you know the the, mm-hmm. the gastronomers are looking for this this blank canvas you know that is ready to do something with yeah. so there the the product looks slightly different um,
0: definitely unmarinated you know shape wise we can we can really look at what they need, yeah, but it's still important for you that you can serve both segments at the same time, right yes, it's
1: definitely I think it also helps to serve both segments at the same time, I think um. You know, I always thought if you if you buy something new and cope, and you you don't maybe you know it's new, you don't cook it well, you don't mm-hmm. like it, you think oh this is bad. If you go to the the restaurant, you know there we could work more with the chefs. You can we can yeah. really you have a, a skilled person operating. So if you have a great experience in a restaurant, you know tasting luya, then um, then you're more likely to go out and buy it, of course. And and that's that's really there are multiplicators, right? You you right. really can enter um, or show have a lot of tasting opportunities, you know, people that might not buy it in the shelf because, you know, it's not
0: their thing, taste it in a restaurant and and are convinced. Perfect. And you are available in both Migros and Coop. So the biggest retailers here in Switzerland, you have them covered. How did you actually get in there? How difficult was it to get in there with your new innovative product? So um, I, I think to be fair,
1: it was definitely difficult um, the convincing part, I would say, was was also difficult, but it wasn't crazy. I think you know we're we're lucky, right? The 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 sector is even though it's expanding, I think you know our, our two giants that we have, they both want to be at the forefront of this innovation, and I think you know they they're looking closely at what the other is doing, and they're they're definitely both wanting to be the faster one so there was some you know they were open to to new things they, they you have to be fast and 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 they know so that was definitely you know of course not easy but they were open to talking to us they were opening open to trying trying product you know seeing what uh, and improving and and bouncing this back and forth mm-hmm. the, the the next difficult task is then uh, supplying exactly <laughs> so you know uh, in 2021 we started um we were Four people when we started and, 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 um, at the end of 2021, we were maybe five or six and, and we'd already agreed to deliver to, to cope. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it's, it's actually fulfilling that, you know, became, became quite the tasks, you know, uh, it's food, right? There's a lot of legislative hurdles. You need specifications. You need the packaging that complies. You need, you need partners for logistics for everything. And you actually need to build up a factory, mm-hmm. which we didn't even have at that point. So, that was just definitely a very sporty, ambitious goal, and uh, I, I think I'm, I'm very happy that we managed to get uh,
0: all this produced just in time. And I mean, that challenge will not, not get smaller, right? Because at the moment, I think your patties are still made by hand, and that is a big challenge that you need to solve from a factory standpoint to also be able to ramp up the production as you grow to more markets and more clients
1: yeah definitely so so we really started with this process in the lab and we scaled it to well at that point looked from our standpoint of course is a factory i think from an industrial standpoint this is a pilot mm-hmm. um and it's 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 a handmade process at the moment you know there's a lot of processes that um we haven't been able to to automate and bring on a on a production line and that's definitely the next step is 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 that we're also currently working on and 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 first machines are arriving, this is, is also super interesting for us, right? right? To really push this product and really get a throughput and, and reduce the workload that is needed to produce because uh, to be a, a competitive product in the market, that's
0: definitely also essential. Absolutely. So this transition from grams to tons is also essential, I assume, to stay competitive on a price level in the market. Is that something that you also aim for to then be able through higher production volumes to lower the price or to increase your margin or both at the same time? Yeah, I
1: think it's it's both at the same time. It, you, we, we definitely start with a product that, you know, um, it's not easy to produce. I mean, uh, we start off with very simple ingredients but it's it's as we said it's a long tedious process you know Mm -hmm. it's a long fermentation um so the capacity has to match it's uh, very handmade at the moment so by really bringing this into a into an industrial scale where we have automation um and really a flow of goods on a line that really of course brings down the cost base here in switzerland you can imagine right the, the personnel side is a huge cost and being able to really Ramp up the production without having to ramp up the personnel like crazy um, is then when it becomes
0: uh, when the margins start becoming interesting Absolutely. or even doable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If we look back to your journey until today, it's really impressive how you were able to attract and also win the right supporters for Luya at the right time. Now, starting as an uh, FH a Fachhochschul project, so research based. I think you first went through the Ruf's First Ventures program. So I want to quickly, you know, talk about the different <laughs> stages and initiatives to give people a bit of better overview about what is out there that can actually help them to kickstart their ideas. So what was this first program, this first ventures program that you went through? So
1: yeah, exactly. First Ventures is uh, from the Ruf Stiftung, so uh, a foundation that really aims to to push you know scientific results or, or projects out of the especially out of the FH, which is First Ventures, really focused on, on Fachhochschule. Mm-hmm. Um, to really push this and and give these people a chance to to take a project, you know, that is is currently a research project and really finance them to to push it, to, to build a business case around it and to give them a chance at, at making it something. I think it's really this this initial hurdle. And that's of course uh, super valuable because without this, you're lost in 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 the sands because it's a nice project, but you know who's gonna who's gonna finance and push it? So that's where we're first ventures, and then of course complementing by the by the Fachhochschule itself that was super of supportive of us and and the and, and you know the lab space, the office space uh, is all needed. So I think those two were were crucial to really get us going and allow us to to really. You
0: know the seed to sprout. I mean, you're the perfect role model for that. It worked. You know, you've proven that these programs work and are successful.
1: Yeah, I would say it worked. <laughs> Sounds like it's a done deal. <laughs> 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 That's um, it's worked so far. No, and I think it it was. Yeah, of course, it's definitely a nice story to be able to tell that we've been able. You know, to take uh, all these small steps and and all the little added add-ons that, that are along the way mm-hmm. and really do step-by-step step grow this business from a, really from a research idea to a pilot, to, a, to an MVP, to then really a production,
0: small scale, and then scaling this up. Exactly. And then the next step for you was to participate in Venture Kick which is also supported by the Geberdruf Stiftung. What did you do there? Why was that the right initiative to get support from?
1: I think the, the venture kick, right, it's, it's, it's two things. and it, it gives you funding step by step mm-hmm. on, on the one side, but it also forces you to really go over your business plan to pitch again and again your idea mm-hmm. and really to sharpen your idea. So that it, it also helped us develop the whole story
0: or the business case around Luya And then you also found the first investors. You were funded by Red Alpine. Why was that then the right next step for you?
1: Yeah, I think at uh, at the end of our our Gebertriff and venture kick money, <laughs> let's <laughs> say we we had a we had an idea of what we wanted to produce, we had the first customers that were interested in it and then that's the next step, right? You need yeah. now build up a, a marketing behind it, you need to build of course the factory behind it, you need to hire the people to to, to operate and run all of this. Mm-hmm. So at that that's when the capex start uh, s- start appearing. So definitely the, the seed round uh, was what we needed. So a, s- a more significant chunk of money that lets you really
0: start to to develop something and build. Absolutely. And then you went back to Gebertrüh. Um, there was another initiative, the InnoBooster. You received a grant of 150,000 Swiss francs, again, from Gebertrüh Foundation. Why was that then the right step to take that money instead of going for another VC round basically
1: so I think it's 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 it, I mean it's not never an, an either or question luckily right. so I think um, the next cable money that we got was was maybe also more forward-looking it was really so the project that we entered there was also really looking at okay what we have now the the, mm-hmm. the VC money we have now is, is, is really aimed at building this new factory and producing at this let's say with this technology that we've we've looked at now and 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 while uh, the capability was a bit more forward looking in mm. terms of you know what comes next what comes after that is really how do we scale this technology to an industrial standard or to to really meet an industrial production yeah. and so that was was is a slight, slight side track that's of course crucial to push luya to a next level and will allow us in a way then to also do the next uh, financing round. So we've really piloted and we've defined what we want to do okay. and, now we go, and now we're go and now we looking for the next, or starting to look for the next financing round to look, okay, and how do we finance this? So that's the next
0: step then. Amazing. And how did that selection process look like? Like, did you have to do some pitching or to hand in some documents, some material to actually get selected as an InnoBooster?
1: Yeah, so for the inner booster, there is a, there's a let's say an application dossier that you need to put together. So there is some supporting documents, but mainly really revolves around your idea, what do you want to do, how does this have an impact, um, mm-hmm. how do you want to spend your money, and all of this. That's a, a first selection around, and and from this, then you're selected to to of course pitch. Um, and that's 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 the the, the two big steps for, for the inner booster. So really putting together a good document of laying out a nice project, and then of course um, pitching it, uh, answering the questions of of a jury to to scrutinize your business ideas. And luckily, you already had a lot of uh, pitching experience from before that. Yeah, I think that's definitely a pitching idea. Uh, experience is definitely
0: something you gain along this track. Definitely. And, you know, of course, we now heard the financial aspect, you know, to support you with funds, with grants. In what other ways has the Gebertrief Stiftung supported you along the way? Yeah, I think the
1: Gebertrief Foundation has has left and right uh, supported us, you know, through through chats with, with the people, through really, um, you know, regular reporting, what do we do? It, it forces you to, to also think about, you know, where, where are we in our processes, what, what do we need to do? as well as as the pitching and and all of these also there the business case is sharpening your your project right it's it's i think if you just have money and you can spend it however right it 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 forces you right
0: it forces you to really look at what you're doing mm-hmm. and 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 make it count absolutely and if you zoom out and look a bit on the ecosystem right you have the universities you have the investors you have the startups what is sort of the role of uh, a stiftung like Geberdrüf? What is the role and the importance of Geberdrüf in the ecosystem?
1: I think it's um, it's really this this step between the idea and and the first equity seed round. Mm-hmm. You there is still a lot of work to do. Let's say there is a right. gap. So if you finish the project at at the, at the Fachhochschule or at the university, quite often. You, it's too early to go into uh, an investor discussion you don't have an mvp you have not thought this through so it really i think it's it really gives this time or it's this critical step of of you know developing an mvp developing a business case around your research project that you then can go for the next step so i think it's it's a very crucial step this this First, where maybe basically there were are too many projects or too risky for investors to invest in everybody. So it really is a, is an environment of of fostering ideas where where they can still grow and then um, apply and and giving those
0: people a chance to apply for for funding. And I think that's beautiful what you just said. It's basically pushing ideas to a level where then professional investors or whoever, clients, would take care of them and the business can thrive. But to push the right projects that might otherwise never see the light of the day, to push them forward and through, that's an important part.
1: I think it's definitely a very enabling part, right? They okay. they, they play the enabling role of really allowing people to to further their research uh, you know, past what you do in a master thesis where you really just can focus on, it allows you to focus on your project, right? You, 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 you're financed, uh, you're paid, you know, you can really completely focus on this project and, and
0: push it. I mean, imagine there's so much good research, good ideas, good technology out there that just doesn't get commercialized or built a business around it. That's such a waste of innovation and, you know, potential. potential. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Luya is up and coming uh, as a food tech startup, you know, growing, winning new clients, new retailers as distributors, etc. You have a really good start, a really good track record already. What is next for you? What are the next milestones?
1: Yeah, I think um, it it, it sounds, uh, I mean, we've come a long way, but it sounds like we're almost there (laughs) the way you describe it. I think there's still a very long way to go, right? So as I've described, really scaling out this technology, making it, bringing this to an industrial scale where where the process is actually relevant, mm-hmm. um, and then of course developing all the markets that there are still to to uncover. Luya is a super versatile product, so there's still so many markets that we could develop in. I think there's still a ton of ideas behind you know using the the technological platform that we're using which is the solid state fermentation of 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 side stream. you know there is a huge array of of of
0: things to play with so i think uh, there's definitely a lot to come i love that although you've already come a long way you still feel like a bit like it's day 1 there's so much more potential and stuff to do around there yeah i think if you want to it's it's always day 1 right, right? i love that so, Toby, to wrap up the conversation of today, we have some rapid-fire questions for you. I either give you a short question or different options to choose from, and you have to answer in one sentence. You ready? Let's go. Why did you actually start a company as opposed to not starting it? I think because it's just this beautiful, big challenge, and it forces you to learn a lot. So you have to get on the fast track. Steep learning curve. Definitely. What was the best lesson entrepreneurship has taught you so far? The best, yeah, I think it's taught me a lot about, you know,
1: exactly this, you know, learning, prioritizing your tasks mm. and what maybe you can't do everything, right? So really prioritizing well and, and pushing the things that need to be pushed across the line. Amazing. Do you have any career regrets? No, none. I think... uh I'm quite happy with how everything has gone so it would
0: be a I would be wrong to say yes How often do you feel the urge to move on to something new or something different It's a good one uh, I would say probably daily because there's just so many
1: cool things to do out there But um yeah I come back to you know to the factory the team the project and and it inspires me to of course uh, stay on
0: track with this one Nice and the last one for you today, what are you not willing to give up? It's, uh, yeah, maybe a bit cheesy, but I would say
1: uh, the dreaming, right the, mm-hmm. to just keep having ambitions
0: that uh, seem a bit crazy, but uh, just push for it. I think we could definitely need more of that thinking <laughs> and dreaming in Switzerland. Yeah, I think it's just also a very nice thing to do, and you can achieve much more than you than you think, exactly. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Lots of success and all the best for the future. And I'm sure we're going to hear, read, and see much more of you and Luya.
1: Well, thank you, Sylvan, for having me. And uh, thanks for the nice conversation.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.